setting fire to the stoner stereotype, sparking up candid conversations with cannabis researchers, entrepreneurs, and advocates. Educator, author, and advocate Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Please welcome the host of Burning Issues, Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Hey, Cannabis Radio listeners, we're back with another episode of Burning Issues. I'm your host, Dr. Mitch Earlywine. As many of you know, I'm the author of the book, Understanding Marijuana, and I pen the High Times column, Ask Dr. Mitch. I'm super thrilled today to have Dr. Franjo Grottenherben talking to us about cannabis as a medicine, and we'll even touch on some more ADHD-related topics. Franjo has been, uh, wow, just really uh, a, a, a spearheading person as far as this literature has been concerned. Uh, he mentions that over a decade, he's been really doing some of the, the piloting work, and it's it's just great to have somebody who's really on the edge of all these data. He's the founder and chairman of the Association for Cannabis Medicine and a big uh, executive director for the International Association for Cannabis Medicine. I can't tell you guys uh, how busy this would make anybody, but he's also editor of that uh, bulletin from the International Association for Cannabis Medicine, which comes out uh, bi-weekly in six different languages and has all kinds of fun, up-to-date, novel data coming out as quickly as possible. So it's it's a delightful. To, it's just it's it's great to have you here. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm I'm pleased to to be with you, Mitch. S- super. Well, so I just wanted to start with, uh, if you don't mind, telling us how you got into this in the first place. You know, Dr. Greenspool in the U.S. and uh, when the German book came out, it was in 1994, I was asked to write a second chapter for, for this book on the situation in Germany. And this was the first time that I got involved in this into this issue. And uh, I got into contact with uh, Dr. Greenspoon. And, um, well, I realized that, that it was a very fascinating field. And on the political um, agenda uh, concerning scientific issues, uh, doing work with patients, it was fascinating uh, cannabis medicine, and then I started to got uh, to get in this this field, and uh, this uh, currently I'm doing nothing else. I feel like uh, listeners in the U.S. don't really understand how medical cannabis is working in Germany. Could you give us in broad strokes how it works there? Uh, well, when I started uh, to get into this field. More than 20 years ago, there was nothing. Nobody knew anything about cannabis medicine. We were much behind the U.S. And in 1997, we founded the uh, Association for Cannabis Medicine, which was an association of doctors, of patients, pharmacists. And we tried to change the situation. Now, the current situation is as follows. In March 2017, there was a new law from the German Bundestag, which says that cannabis flowers can be prescribed in Germany by every doctor. However, the cannabis flowers are very expensive. They may be 20, 25 euros per gram. So this is 25 to 30 dollars per gram. So that is not affordable by most patients. Um, in certain cases, the health insurances have to pay for the flowers. Um, we had much hope into this law, but it's very bureaucratic and 
physicians don't like it because it's so bureaucratic and patients don't find a doctor to prescribe them to them. So we have a good law, but it's not yet working. So we are trying to prove it. But it's better than, for example, in France or many other European countries, doctors in Germany can prescribe cannabis flowers and many patients get it reimbursed by their health insurance. But we have to do still to do much work. I, I got to hand it to you. We know what it's like to have that kind of uphill battle, but it's it's great to see the progress you've made. Hey, we get a lot of uh, email here, and uh, quite a few folks have been concerned about cannabidiol. I know for one thing that uh, there was a study that suggested that somehow cannabidiol was going to somehow turn into THC in the stomach at wild doses or something like that. I feel like you've got some good insights about that. Could you tell us if that really happens and what's going on? Uh, well, there was a study made by uh, scientists of a, of, a, of a company which is wants to sell uh, CBD, uh, which is uh, going to the body but through the skin. So there was much interest that uh, CBD ingested orally would not work or would turn out to be THC. And uh, the basic uh, message is this does not happen in a relevant uh, amount. So don't care about this study. This is um, not very serious. Oh, that's good to know. I, I really thought it seemed uh, pharmacologically odd, and, and it's nice to have your confirmation on that. And then there are a number of medical uses for, uh, obviously, cannabis flower or the, the cannabinoids themselves. Are there any that in, in particular really stand out to you uh, as far as medical cannabis being uh, particularly efficacious? Uh, I did not understand uh, very well. Could you please reply? Uh, uh, sure. Are there, yeah. are, there, are there disorders that you feel like or symptoms that you feel like are, are best treated with THC or cannabinoids or at least respond well to them? Uh, well, you know, there is no molecule on the world similar to THC with such a broad pharmaceutical uh, arrow of effects and which can be used medicinally. So um, this is the reason why we talk about cannabis and THC and get specific laws in several countries because there's nothing similar to THC in the world. Most molecules they are, can be used for one, two, three, five conditions, medical, then it's finished. You have morphine for pain, you have this for depressions, and so on. And with THC, you have a molecule which can work in 50 or 100 medical conditions. So this is very different to every other molecule in the world. It's such a, a novel, wonderful uh, discovery, I, I don't even know where to begin. First and foremost, there's been a lot of hype about cannabis and uh, the psychotic disorders or schizophrenia, and I, I feel like uh, you've actually shown that some of the cannabinoids may actually be helpful for, for these. Could you explain? Uh, well, uh, we can look at THC and we can look at CBD. So what is the case for THC? Uh, let me compare it to another issue. Uh, what we can say is that perhaps THC will double the risk for schizophrenia in young adults, in, in, in adolescents, in young people, in teens. So, and I looked into other risks for schizophrenia. For example, what is also doubling the risk for schizophrenia? If you grow up in a city compared to the landscape, 
to a village, then your risk for schizophrenia is doubled. So there is nobody to say to mothers and parents, well, if your kids go, get up, grow up in a city, they will all get schizophrenia. I've never heard of this, but this, is, this may double the risk for schizophrenia. So this is a relatively weak risk increase, a doubling. Instead of one in 100 of 100, there is two of 100, which may uh, risk to get schizophrenia. This is not much, it's nearly not noticeable. noticeable. So, and with CBD, it's very different. We now have a, a very small study, which has been conducted at the University of Cologne, that CBD may be effect, as effective as standard neuroleptics against schizophrenia uh, without any side effects. There are very few studies, very few case reports, and only one placebo control study. And the problem with CBD is that you need it at relatively high doses. So at the Cologne study, they used two times uh, or four times 200 milligrams. So this was 800 milligrams per day. And this is rather expensive if you want to get pure CBD at this high dose. Wow, but that's a wonderful finding, and that's so encouraging. When I think of the, the side effects of the neuroleptics, it's delightful to think that there might be something out there that, that wouldn't have any. We're going to have to take a break and uh, get in a word from our sponsors. As my cannabis radio brother Vivian McPeak says, we've got to pause for the cause because there are flaws in the laws. We'll be right back with more Burning Issues. More Burning Issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Strainwise Consulting is the most sought-after consulting company for cannabis business applications and management contracts. We consulted on the first recreational license in the world and have had an over 95% success rate on applications submitted. The industry is growing at such an exponential rate that building a powerful and lasting can of business is a number one priority. Here's Strainwise's Sean Eubanks. In our first five years, we branded and supported nine medical and recreational marijuana dispensaries and approximately 160,000 square feet of sophisticated and efficient product cultivation. Strainwise Consulting has the experience and expertise to guide you through the process. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be. The Boober Way. Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Hey, and we're back with more burning issues. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine, and we're talking to Dr. Franjo Grottenerman. We're going to uh, explore his uh, really diverse uh, look at a lot of the different cannabinoids and, and how they work. 
Dr. Grant Herman, we've been specializing a lot on ADHD. I know it's not uh, necessarily an area that you're uh, immersed in, but I'd love to hear what's going on with research on that if you've got a few comments. Oh, well, ADHD is very fascinating when it comes to cannabis because we have many patients with ADHD who are now 30 or 40 years old who in their youth at years uh, at 15 years or 17, uh, 16 years, they took a joint with their friends and they realized, oh, I can now concentrate. I'm calm. All my problems with ADHD, they, they disappear. And this is what have made thousands of young people this, this experience. And they are now adults. And they are now going to a psychiatrist and tell them the story. And usually the psychiatrists don't believe them. I have more than uh, 50, 60 patients with ADHD, adult patients with ADHD. They tell me all the same story that uh, by chance they found out 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that cannabis is very helpful for them. And um, until this spring, until March 2017, uh, patients in Germany, they could only get an exemption from the narcotics law to use cannabis flowers. And I ha helped more than 50 patients of, with ADHD to get this exemption. So um, ADHD in Germany is now um, a big issue when it comes to cannabis, a big discussion. That's just so wonderful. What a, what a happy story. I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to hear that. And I can only imagine the hours and hours it must have taken in order to, to make that happen. Do you have any conjecture about the mechanism behind this or how this might work? Uh, well, uh, when you look at the basic uh, action of the endocannabinoid system or cannabinoids or THC, then you see that THC is um, acting against uh, too high concentrations of other neurotransmitters um, and is slowing this overactivity of other neurotransmitters. And this does work for epilepsy, this does work for pain, this does work for spasticity, and this does also work for ADHD. We can imagine that there are neurotransmitters overactive in ADHD, which are counteracted by THC and endocannabinoids. So this is, I think, the main basis. It's great to think that there's something out there that can sort of modulate these other neurotransmitters and keep things going. We also hear a lot about sort of inflammatory-related problems and how cannabis might help those. Do you have any experience or familiarity with that literature? Yes, of course. Um, well, you know, we have about four domains where research research is rather good and other domains where research is rather, clinical research is rather, is missing nearly. And um, I think inflammatory diseases such as Crohn's, Crohn's disease or uh, rheumatism or um, other um, inflammatory diseases um, are very promising with regard to THC and CBD and cannabis, um, but we have very little research on this, and um, I would like to see more of it. You know, we have very expensive medications to treat inflammatory diseases now with 
biologicals, very expensive. They may have um, nearly uh, very serious side effects because of their immune suppressive, strong immune, uh, severe immune suppressive effects. And cannabis is a very good alternative to this. It's it's good to know, man. I, I really do know a lot of people personally with irritable bowel and Crohn's disease, and they really do suffer. And then the medications just uh, tend to bring on their own set of symptoms. So it's it's really tough. I know that we often talk about THC having really no side effects. In fact, there there are a couple of common side effects, and I was just curious if you could comment on them and and how folks generally habituate to them over time. Uh, well, we have uh, we have to do, uh, look at two things. This is acute side effects and chronic side effects. When we have when we got acute side effects, there are very there are often acute side effects. For example concerning circulation or concerning uh, psychological side effects or something like that. And this is in contrast to chronic side effects. We have nearly nothing. We have no disturbance of the stomach, no, uh, not nothing for the liver, nothing on, on kidneys, nothing on the brain or the heart. We have nearly nothing chronic side effects. So if there's somebody who tolerates the acute side effects, then he has a medication which he can use for decades. This is very different to many other other, other uh, drugs we have. For example, if you take cortisone, we just talked about inflammatory diseases. If you take cortisone or other inflammatory medications, they may work without any acute side effects. And after five or 10 years, you have severe problems. So this is very different with cannabis. It's wow! It's just got a safety profile like nothing else out there. In the United States, we do hear a lot of uh, jumping up and down about potential withdrawal symptoms from cannabis and the cannabinoids. Do you have uh, any clinical experience with those, or an impression of their severity? Uh, yes, uh, there are some some investigation on these issues, and usually it comes out that it's a little bit similar to tobacco. You know, when you start using tobacco at an age of 15, uh, very uh, very much tobacco, or when you start at the age of 15 to use cannabis in high doses, then you will, ha will have problems at the age of 30 or 40 or 50 uh, to, to quit it. And when you start with at the age of 20 or 30 with moderate doses, you usually don't have any problems. Um, uh, when, what I tell to patients usually is, if you fear any withdrawal symptoms, take your medications for, for two or three months and stop it for a few days to see what happens. Many patients have nothing and some have some withdrawal, but they can uh, uh, tolerate it because they know what they have to expect if they continue to use it. So I, I, I tell patients, well, make your experience with this and look if there's really something for yourself because it's very different from pa patient to patient. Usually in a medical context, this is not really a problem if you compare it with other medications such as benzodiazepines or opioids or something. I do feel like that almost calling it withdrawal seems unfair when you're talking to an opiate-dependent uh, person to, to call these symptoms withdrawal is, is almost insulting. Yes, for opiates, it's it's very hard. Uh, we have we have some medications where people say there are no uh, uh, withdrawal symptoms. For, for example, antidepressants. 
but people sometimes have severe withdrawal from antidepressants, even that where the normal medic, uh, doc doctors say there is nothing. But this is, um, well, um, when you compare it with cannabis, uh, this is um, very similar. Uh, you have nearly no withdrawal. We have, you may have something, but it's not comparable with with uh, medications where you usually say this is a, this is a problem with withdrawal. For example, opiates or uh, uh, Valium or any other things. Neuroleptics. People have often very very much difficulty, very uh, many difficulties to get rid of this. It's not the case for cannabis. Well, and then cannabidiol is really in the news a lot today, and I get the impression that there's really. Uh, certainly no dependence-type symptoms or side effects, even at those high doses. Was that the experience you have had? Um, CBD may actually be uh, block withdrawal symptoms. It may help to get uh, people rid of uh, substances with, um, who may cause dependency. For example, alcohol, opiates, it, opi or opiates it, even THC. It may help to get them uh, got away from uh, withdrawal symptoms for these medications. It's a delightful thought to think that CBD could actually help withdrawal symptoms after all the, the hype we've been getting about cannabis-related withdrawal. Hey, we do have to call it a day, but I'm really excited, and thank you so much, Dr. Franjo Gratton-Herman, for appearing on Burning Issues. We'll be right back with our next chapter of Self-Compassion in the Art of Activism Stay tuned. More burning issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. Introducing 420 Cloud, ignited by MSIG, one of the fastest growing social apps around. The only app you'll need for all things cannabis. Find the latest cannabis news, videos, and stories, ranging from business and tech to sports and medicine. Start your career in cannabis by seeking, identifying, and applying for jobs through our expansive listings. For businesses, 420cloud.com features a full-scale cross-channel network, monetizing high traffic for big data conversion and analytics. Download 420 Cloud now from the iTunes Store or Google Play. MSIG.com is a publicly listed company on the OTC. Symbol MCIG. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited. Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. Join our crew of thousands on our Cannabis Radio page on Facebook or at Canna Radio, C-A-N-N-A Radio on Twitter. Plus, look for our Facebook and Google Plus pages for all of our original programs and connect with Dr. Dina, Kyle Cushman, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, Nurse Heather, Doc Rob, the host of Gondrepreneur, and more. Connect with the growing Cannabis Radio social crusade at Canna Radio on Twitter or search for Cannabis Radio on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram and grow with us. Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues only on CannabisRadio.com. And we're back with more burning issues. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Thanks so much for joining me. Hey, it's time for another chapter of Self-Compassion in the Art of Activism, the part of our show where we learn to take good care of ourselves and each other. 
I got an intriguing email as part of our ADHD series, and folks are saying, hey, I, you know, I love the thought of cannabis as a treatment. I'm not particularly a fan of the stimulant drugs, but are there any behavioral interventions, anything I can do in my day-to-day life to help this? And I do want to address this even for folks who don't have ADHD, because I feel like we can all get off task sometimes, and there are some little things we can do to make our lives a little better organized and a little less frenetic. So these all focus on things that nobody really wants to do, but everybody sort of knows they should. So I want to begin with just a little psychoeducation about attention and motivation. I got to guarantee you that nobody really wants to balance their checkbook. Nobody's dying to sit down and do their taxes. We all have tasks in life that we're not necessarily motivated to do and that we could easily be distracted from. It doesn't mean you have a disorder. It just means you have an interesting life. A couple of key features that show up in the behavioral interventions involve having a task list and having a calendar. Nobody likes to fill out that day planner, but it really makes a big difference, not just for folks with ADHD, but for everybody. If you have something on your phone or a calendar that you can carry around, it makes a big difference as far as staying organized. It also makes it easier for you to plan pleasant events in the future, and that way it's a buffer against depression as well. So there should be something where you list literally the tasks for the day and a calendar that shows up so you know what kind of appointments you have in that day. It makes a big, big difference. Another key concern is modifying the environment. Now, I have to confess that I may not be the most attentive guy in the world, But if I can make the environment less distracting, I can do a whole lot better. If you clear your whole desk off, what a surprise. Little shiny things aren't going to grab your attention as easily. If you make sure that other things are quiet or you're in an environment where distractions are to a minimum, it really does pay off. If that means you got to go to the library to do something, or you have to, uh, you know, isolate yourself even with earplugs. It's funny, but it'll make whatever the task is happen a whole lot faster. Finally, the whole idea that we can rehearse and review the way we think about our tasks also goes a long way. So if our expectations of what we have to do are good. If we understand that not everything is going to be riveting and delightful, we're going to have a better chance of getting it done. A lot of folks recommend breaking these kinds of tasks down into smaller and smaller tasks. I joke with my grad students, you can't put on your to-do list, get a PhD, right? You have to break it down into smaller doable chunks, then you get more reinforcement for your progress. And as you break a task into multiple components, you get to reward yourself along the way. Anytime I talk about rewarding yourself, people tend to roll their eyes, but trust me, it's really worth it. Even if it's something as simple as you get to get a little break or go, uh, you know, have a snack or or something like that, it, it means a whole lot. Obviously, you don't want to turn a break into the end of of your process, so sometimes uh, just little rewards that you can appreciate later on are also a big plus. 
Finally, there's a problem-solving solution to almost every one of these. So if you're willing to generate a whole lot of options for getting any task done, it's going to go a long way. And literally sit down and list the pros and cons, pros down the left and cons down the right. Allegedly, this goes all the way back to Benjamin Franklin, where you can really try to pick what is the best solution and understand that not everybody is solving their problems on the first try. So if you generate as many solutions as possible and evaluate them all, even if your first one doesn't work, you're going to do fine if you have another one to turn to or at least can figure out sort of what went wrong as far as that's concerned. So again, if you can keep uh, a task list and a calendar, try to keep uh, your environment as distraction-free as possible and use all your problem-solving skills, it's going to go great. If you do find a strain that seems to be helpful, by all means, bless you. That's certainly going to help your ADHD and even people without the disorder can do well. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to Burning Issues. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Special thanks to the Cannabis Radio Wizards who are on the production team and Dr. Franjo Grottenherman <laughs> and Dr. Franjo Grottenherman for appearing on the show. I'm Dr. Mitch. Follow your heart and let the data be your guide. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.